Hello, and welcome to episode 69 of the Medical Device Success Podcast and Videocast. I am Ted Newell, your host. Thank you very much for spending time with me today. For those of you that are regular listeners or and or viewers, welcome back. For those of you that are new, welcome to the program. You can find more podcasts on a variety of med tech subjects from C-suite interviews to subject matter experts at the medicaldevicesuccess.com website. Today, I want to head back to the front line of sales with my guest, Chip Helm, account executive, government accounts for Cook Medical. We are going to talk about the foundation of his career, the difference between government sales and community hospital sales, how Cook Medical helped field sales reps throughout COVID, and how the sales environment has changed with the pandemic. Chip will confirm that sales is harder work in this pandemic environment. Chip is also the author of two books on sales, and in the show notes, you will find links to Chip's LinkedIn profile, his books, and his personal website. Feel free to share this episode with a friend or colleague that you think might benefit by using the share link button on your podcast provider. Now, if you're looking for a community of like-minded medtech professionals, consider medtechleaders.net. We have over 100 members from 18 countries. There you can communicate with other professionals and take advantage of a number of resources that I have created with subject matter experts. Again, that is medtechleaders.net. Now, it is back to the front line of sales with Chip Helm. Chip, welcome to the Medical Device Success Podcast and Videocast Program. Great to have you here. Ted, it's an honor and it's a pleasure to be in your podcast. I look forward to talking to you today. Well, it's going to be real interesting because as I told everybody in the previous introduction, trying to get back in the trenches. You know, we talk to a lot of experts and C-suite people, which is terrific. It's great learning. But what's it really like in the field, you know, with people like yourself at whatever level they are? you know, people that are actually out there in the field. But let's um, tell us a little bit about yourself, what your role is at Cook. Um, and, you know, just tell us a, bit, a little bit about that first. Well, I've been in the medical industry for about 36 plus years. Mm-hmm. And I've only been with one company for 36 plus years, and that's Cook Medical. And I've had a lot of roles. Uh, I've been in, uh, in the field, as you would say, as a salesperson. I've been in product management in the field. I was a national sales manager uh, for about 17 years, and I spent a lot of time out in the field. That may not have been typical of most national sales managers, but I'm not your typical national sales manager. I spent a lot of time out in the field with customers. And then last but not least, I'm currently in a position called the account executive for the government side of the company. Okay. Very important role, the government side. And one that I think is misunderstood. So we're going to explore that in a little bit. So let's talk about the foundations, because I think for people to understand a little bit about uh, more about who you are, it's a good thing if we get back to your foundation. And you hinted a little bit at it, talking about your career at Cook Medical, you know, 30 plus years, which is terrific. But what, where were you before Cook Medical? Where were you in college? And what were you thinking about, um, you know, on your way to Cook? Well, you know, as a little boy, uh, growing up, I only had one thing I ever wanted to do in life. I had one goal. I wanted to be an orthodontist like my father. I grew up in a family that that's all I, uh, I just looked up to him. He was my mentor and, and uh, you know, he's no longer with us, but that's all I wanted to do with my whole life was to be just like my father. I bet you've heard that before and your, uh, your listeners. And so I, I went through the whole process of grade school, high school, college, and that's all I wanted to do. And, and, and as I was going through this process, I played sports. I played basketball, baseball, and football. And I actually had the honor and privilege to play for a guy named Lee Corso 
mm-hmm. tells you how old I am, older than dirt. But you know, <laughs> Leah's on ESPN now, and um, you know I welcome going to IU. I went to Indiana University to play for him, played briefly because I wanted to go to dental school again. We'll go back. I want to be like my father. So I got into dental school, and I thought the uh, I thought things were great. Uh, I've hit a home run. What better life is this? Three years into my dental training, found out that I just was not very good with my hand-eye coordination. And what that means is I'm not good with the small skills, the skills that you really need to have with the small things in uh, in dental school. And so, so you could catch talking, a you could catch a you could catch a football, but it didn't it didn't translate into really small movements with a hand on an instrument. Man, you just nailed it because people and then, you know, I had a mentor. So it's all about mentors, by the way. I wouldn't be where I am today without a mentor. I had mentors, but I had a mentor at Indiana University who said, I got a great company for you. You're a great communicator. You connect with people. I just think you would just blend in so well with this company. So nevertheless, I went through some interviews and, you know, here I am 36 plus years later. Um, and, um, it's, it's been a whirlwind, uh, success. I, and I really say this with all honesty and honest and heart and humbleness. I've never had a job in my career. So if you get to that point where you love something so much, uh, that's probably why I'm still here 36 years, uh, later. So that's kind of my, um, my pathway. Okay. So let me ask you, you have a mentor at college. And the reason I'm asking this question is because a lot of people, we do have some young people that listen to this uh, podcast thinking about a career and they're thinking about sales or they're thinking about transitioning from some other area in a company into sales. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you go over to cook and you're talking to them and they're talking about sales. You, you've been in dental school. You, had you ever, ever even dreamed of being in sales before? Dead. I had no idea what that freaking term was called sales. Sorry. I had no idea what sales are. I laugh because I speak in all these colleges and places today and they have all these sales degrees and stuff. Back in the heyday when I was around, what are you talking about sales? I knew nothing about sales, nothing. And, uh, you know, this mentor thing, I cannot, I can't stress enough because mentors don't find you. You find mentors. Again, I'll say that again. Mentors do not find you out there. You find mentors. And and that mentor, his name was Bill Armstrong. I want to say that because he's the head of the IU Foundation. And he helped me get into dental school. And he helped me get that position with Cook Medical. So, you know, um, I had no idea. Okay. All I could tell them in front was that I had a biology degree from Indiana University. And I thought I could do this position. Um, so that's what happened. I got a break and that's what I've learned over the road with my other uh, positions as national sales manager. I gave a lot of people breaks because it's not about what's on your resume. It's not that you came out of college with a degree in biology, but can you talk to people? Can, are you authentic? Are you humble? Can you communicate? Do you care? Will you hustle? That's what I, that's what I was looking for. And hopefully that's what I brought to the table. Well, I have to tell you that I had a similar type of career path. I had no idea I was going to be in sales. No idea. I was in grad school looking at jobs, and I, I had no idea it would be sales. And, but that's where I started, and I really loved it. Started in sales, went into sales management, marketing management, and so on and so forth. So uh, not too dissimilar. And I was, um, uh, when I was in college, I was pre-med. And so I shadowed a dentist one summer. I shadowed a dentist. I shadowed a doctor. I shadowed a veterinarian. And after shadowing all three of them, I thought, I don't think this is what I want to do. But again, a little bit like you, you you had gone further. You were in dental school, but a little bit like you, I had gone through a lot of the you know the medical type of uh, courses that you have to take to prepare for med school. And I changed direction. Um, so we well, could can talk. Can I on. jump in on you? And- sure. It just came, it came, it came out of the blue to my thought, you know, in our family, we only had plan A and growing up, I only had plan A. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about plan B. And all of a sudden my life turned upside down in 24 hours. Cause I remember I had to tell my father in tears that I was not going to continue dental school because I did not have the hands. And my dad and I both cried and I had no 
no understanding, no clear path, had no idea what I was going to do next because my family was only driven on plan A. Well, you know, move forward. I have three kids right now. They didn't have a plan B. My oldest is an orthopedic surgeon resident at, in Houston. He had no plan B. My daughter's a veterinarian. I bring that up because of what you were doing, shadowing yeah. And she had no plan B. And my third is a was a football player. They all played sports. And now is in dental school. So, again, I believe in plan A. I really believe there people should only go for plan A and shouldn't even have a plan B. Uh, because I but you have to be, but you have to be willing to accept it if it comes. Yes, that's that's the difference. Yeah, I had that. I had to accept it. You made a beautiful comment there. I had to accept it. But I want people to know is you don't have to have a plan B. You can work hard enough for that plan A. If you work hard enough, I'll bet you all the money in the world that you will be successful. Too many people have too many plan Bs and plan Cs. What, what's that tell you? That means they don't work hard enough in plan A. But if you don't have a plan B, now see, you got some, I worked hard in my plan A. I just didn't have the actual physical ability. That's different than, you know, than uh, deciding that you just don't want to do it or you don't work hard enough or you're not good enough by, by uh, the grades. So, and where was Sorry. your, and so you went into field sales and where was your first territory? Uh, state of Florida, the whole state of Florida. Uh -huh. Wow. That is, wow. That was that's easy. A, that's a lot of driving. That was a piece of cake. That was a piece of cake because if you're organized and you love it and I'm smiling and I'm driving to Miami and all these different places back 30 plus years ago, I loved it. And it wasn't large. You know why? Because every customer is important. So every customer I met on, on the way, I, I loved. So, yeah. you know, I had no issues with the size. It, it's laughingly today. Kids are kids and people, this generation, they, they think those territories are too large. I disagree. It doesn't mean I, I, I couldn't be more effective. You just learn where to go. You learn who you need to see. You organize yourself and you can be just as successful. And when you and I were in sales, we didn't have cell phones. No, I just big old thing. You know, and I, I know this isn't the, the, the beginning of this podcast. You probably want to go this direction. But I sat on a phone in a hospital. And yeah. if I saw the physician coming around the corner, I dropped the phone, literally dropped the phone in the middle of a conversation. I think one time I dropped my wife uh, <laughs> in a conversation. I don't think she talked to me for about the next couple of days, but you know what? I saw my customer around the corner. I had to go. It was, those, it was, uh, I was on point. Let's go. And those are the days where you knew where all the payphone banks were. Oh, whether it was a hospital or a oh, hotel nearby everywhere. or a gas station or something like that, you knew where they all were. Well, it's funny you say <laughs> that, just like you knew the hospital sign. Remember the blue yeah. hospital sign yeah. on the corner of the road or the highway? I knew every, every exit where that H was. Yeah. <laughs> but that okay, hasn't so, changed. So. Sure, sure. So let's keep going here. So, yeah. you know, 30 years multiple positions of uh, responsibility later, you're an account exec for government accounts, you know, and then along the way, you got the um, itch to write a couple books. So before we circle back to what you're doing now in the trenches, government accounts, and what your thoughts are about sales in general in the trenches right now in this post-COVID world, but just tell us quickly about you know, the itch to write a couple books and, and what you did there. Quickly, about 10, 12 years ago, I was sitting around a Christmas tree uh, with my whole family. We're very, very family driven. And my sons and daughter, and I just shouted out, I don't know why I did this stupid thing. I said, you know, dad's going to write a book. What'd you say? <laughs> I said, dad's going to write a book. What'd you say? Dad's going to write a book. And so every year, every Christmas, every Christmas thereafter, the next nine, 10 years, I said, dad, where's your book? Dad, where's your book? I finally got so tired of it that I said, that's it. I'm done with it. I'm going to write this book no matter. And I was and I was scared to death, had no idea how to do it. I had so much fear. I was shaking. I couldn't go back to my kids without having a book. So I had a friend of mine that's in the, in the surgery area and, and helped me. And I learned out that I'm not a writer, but I'm a recorder. I'm very verbal. If you don't know that already, Ted. Right. But, uh, so I recorded everything. And next thing I know it, I was uh, between my, with my friend. I ended up in a, just a really nice um, 
area of just having people around me. For some reason, the guy, guy looked down and said, okay, I'm going to give you an editor. I'm going to give you someone to help you. And not, next thing I know, I had a team. So I had a team and we went to work. It took me one year. And about two weeks before I was supposed to bring the book, the publication, they called me and said, you're going to have two kids. You're going to birth two children. What am I going to do birth, birth two children? I already have three. What are you talking about? I already have kids. What are you talking about? You're going to have two books, not one. I said, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Again, I, I, it's like me going back to saying I don't know anything about sales. Right. And they said, no, we have enough content. We believe in you. We think your, your content's one. We're going to split it up in two books. And I said, really? And I said, okay, did you fit my criteria? I go, what do you mean? I go, well, because I want to be short reads. I want somebody to pick it up on the East Coast, get on a plane, sit in the, their seat, get comfy, you know, maybe have a martini, whatever, and, and read it in about two hours. So that's what happened. Both my books, one is uh, Everyday Sales Wisdom for Your Life and Career. The other one is Bigger Than Sales, How Humility, now think about that, sales and humility, and Relationships. Build career success, and so the first book is Everyday Sales Wisdom is more of um, more the foundation, and then the uh, bigger than sales is more of the how to, uh, and they're both and it's just it's been a blessing. I did it just to leave a legacy for my children. I didn't care. I didn't do it to sell a book, and yeah, and then so yeah, you have to you you have to spend all that time up on Amazon. Yes, that's where my books uh, sit right now is up on Amazon, but. Uh, I did it for the legacy of my children. I did it to get off uh, them to get off my back. And I did it that if I could impact one person, I win. Yeah. And it also helps with credibility because you also have your own website. And by the way, for listeners and viewers, I will have links to uh, Chip's books uh, in the show notes and a link to his own personal website in the show notes, as well as a link to his uh, LinkedIn profile and so on. So those will all be in the show notes. Um, but you have a very interesting website of your own, and you do some speaking and things like that as well to support the whole concept of sales, whether it's sales as a profession or sales that you need to utilize in everyday life. I agree. The only one thing, I, the, the whole premise, Ted, around these books, and I preach it, and I'll probably preach it till the good Lord takes me upstairs, is everyone is in sales no matter what career you choose. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so let's dive into uh, back into your current role and let's talk a little bit about how government healthcare sales are different than community health systems or commercial health systems. Are they different or do you just want to say how, how they're the same or kind of combine the both? How do you want me to start? How, how, are, they, how are they different? Like, you know, okay. whether it's the call points or the sales process, you know, the kind of people you're dealing with and so on, what kind of knowledge you have to have, that kind of stuff. Okay. Well, I'll try to blend it because I think it goes both ways. Okay. There's there's obvious ways that the government kind of sales and work in the VA hospitals and the military hospitals are just like everything else. I like to start that with, and that is because you still have the same call points. You still have to build relationships. You still need to problem solve. You still need to be a good consultant and assist uh, your clinical physicians in cases. Uh, so those things of how to are, are the same. The basic premise, you know, of selling doesn't change whether or not you're commercial side in an academic hospital, private hospital, or you go to the military hospital or a VA hospital. We'll change that term from government because those are the really main two government uh, hospitals. But I'd say probably some of the biggest things that were so different is really you have to understand that, first of all, uh, there is no um, there's no reimbursement. So you know how hard we're working today on the commercial side. Everyone is about price and and uh, uh, you got to get it reimbursed and you got to you, you won't bring up a medical device to the market anymore unless you get a code. Those things like that. That's not how it works in the government side. There is no reimbursement. There's a budgets. They're a budget that uh, the government puts together. There's one side of the government hospitals called prosthetics for the implants, the things that are left in the body for over 30 days. Then you have logistics, the other side of the, the VA hospital, let's pick them as a government body, that they deal only with the disposables like catheters and needles and wires, things that go away that just don't last. So there's got two bodies of 
of, of the work inside of uh, the VA. And so they have a budget. So that's how they spend this money. And that's how they give the money for, you know, all sorts of things, procedures and, you know, and, and items and things inside the hospital. So, so that's definitely set up in your supply chain system. You know, uh, also what's different is that we, we don't worry about a price. The VA at the, at the very highest level will uh, dictate and will decide when you submit your prices. Okay, I'm okay with that. You know, it's fair. Uh, you know, they will they will look at what's what's uh, what other prices are around the country. So you 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 got to be careful what you give on the commercial side because if you give too cheap then you can't really submit, you don't want to submit for a VA contract because they'll look at it and go, wait a minute, I want this price. And that mm-hmm, price. Right. So overall, you don't, so once you're on contract with the VA, any company, once they're on contracts, there's a couple different contracts, formulary for disposables and implants, again, for those type of implant stents, things that stay in the body more than 30 days, then once you're on those contracts, there are no price discussions. You don't have to go to the to the physician or you don't have to go back to the supply chain or you don't have to have any kind of that discussion. Plus another key little trick or tip to a VA is it's the largest ASP. And everybody on your listeners understand what ASP means, average selling price. They have the largest ASP. So what's it tell you? It tells you you can sell less units of something to a VA and make more money than you can sell more units across the street at that academic hospital and sell more for less. So it just tells you that we need, or the companies around the country here uh, need to spend more time uh, inside the VA. Uh, I'm trying to think what else is just drastically different. Okay, navigating. I mean, do you understand, Ted, and your listeners, that when you walk into a VA hospital, you will see most of the patients in the hallways, outside the doors, in chairs, waiting, and they have a different process, or just hanging out. They like to hang out. You don't see that in the commercial side. You'll see some patients coming in, and you won't even know they're patients sometimes. Well, veterans like to you know, to hang out with their friends and, and come in there and, and talk to people. Plus, you know, there's not a lot of room sometimes. And it's just very humbling. It's very mm-hmm. sympathetic and empathetic because, you know, there's not a day go by that any of us who work in the uh, VAs and the government side uh, don't, uh, you know, see that, you know, those, those patients and things like that, you know, from that standpoint. Right. Are there, are pain points different at the government side, pain points, um, the things that really they're interested, are there some things they're interested in the government side relative to, it could be features and benefits that might be a little different and or service. It could be the way you set up your supply chain that are different than the way you uh, work with a community hospital. Well, okay. 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 I'll make a comment or something and tell me if this is what you mean by a pain point. So I was going to ask you to explain more of a pain point. Let me just, so give you an example, like, you know, on the commercial side, it really is about price. They don't, don't, sometimes they don't care about the value, care about the quality. Sometimes I'm not uh, derailing the commercial, but it has gotten to become more of a business, you know, you know, it starts the supply chain and moves down. But see, the supply chain and the business side on the government, they care, really, really, really care about their physicians and clinicians. They service their veterans and service their clinicians. So I would say that if you're on a contract, you have a really good chance of getting your products into the VA and the DOD hospitals because the supply chain on the government side really are there to service and and take care of and help their clinicians and their veterans. I'm not saying on the, on the, you know, the commercial side. Well, maybe I got to be honest. I'm not saying that they do care as much. In my personal opinion, because it's all more about a business. It's more right. about profit and loss. It's more about what I did. I mean, example is, come on. I mean, you know how fast um, hospitals got up and running again when they, uh, you know, through the uh, epidemic and through COVID because they had to 
because if they didn't get back up going, they're going to lose money and have to close a hospital. Whereas on the, on the government side, it didn't matter when COVID hit because that's not how they're structured. There's not a reimbursement. Um, doctors get paid, you know, can't make any more than what the president makes. Uh, they get a chance to go home on the weekends. They don't have, they're not a call schedule. So, so it doesn't kill them if, if they have to cut their procedure down for a while. But, you know, they're more of a nonprofit. They're not there to make money. They're there to service and take care of the veterans, which is the number one thing. And we need to continue to do this in this country is take care of veterans. I hope that's what you're talking about when you mean when you said pain points. Well, you're getting there a little bit because um, I don't know if I'm understanding this entirely correctly, okay. but do you think a doctor, uh, let's say a surgeon in a, a VA hospital setting has uh, more control and more say about what he'll get to use than he might have across the street at uh, uh, at a commercial hospital that's part of the a huge health system? No question about it. Actually, some of those really? folks walk across oh. the street. So surgeon, sur, a surgeon, as you're saying, surgeon A, works across the street in what's called the academic hospital. Sometimes it's connected right to the VA. Sometimes it's a walkway. Sometimes it's a mile away. But yes, there, uh, he'll tell you, it's like pulling teeth. I can't get what I need. It's all about money. Uh, they don't want to listen to me. But on the government side, he can walk across, back across the street, yes. And if he needs it for his patient and, and we're on contract, which always helps, that it's not that difficult because the people there want to help him. They're not trying to stay in his way and say, you cannot have it. They just want to know, do you want it? Is it on contract as, as anything? It's always harder. VA or commercial to get something into a hospital if it's not on a contract today. Now, back in my daytime and your day, Ted, there weren't contracts. Right. You know, right. so we weren't worried about that. Today, there are. So, no, yes, to your answer, it is easier and better uh, on the government side uh, to bring products in than it is on the commercial side. But remember, all these years, salespeople who work both hospitals, I used to work VAs too when I was a rep. Right. You're scared. You're scared to death. Because you just don't know how to navigate that hospital. You walk in the front door and you see these, you see these great veterans right in front of you. You see people around, and they are the nicest people in the world. They are so welcoming. How's your day going? You know, can I help you with anything? They're a heck of a lot nicer than they are on the commercial side. They're a blessing. I just I can't tell you, but still, it scares a typical salesperson because they don't know how to navigate. Where is this logistics, you know, uh, part? I don't even know that word. Where is the, you know, the implants, the prosthetics is the term. And they use a lot of acronyms. Right. And these acronyms are, can get scary, you know, like CPRC is called a clinical product Review Committee. Again, CPRC, Clinical Product Review Committee. What does that compare to on the listeners out there? They all know this word. If you're listening at all and have been working in these hospitals, it's VAC. Right. VAC. VAC, that's the big deal. VAC. And doesn't mean a darn thing if you uh, about a VAC because a lot of times you can't get it through that committee anyway. And sometimes it takes forever. So, Yes, they're on the government side, they use a lot of acronyms. Yes, it just is a scary feeling. But you know what? A lot of it is exactly the same thing. They want to see you. You got to build a relationship. They need your value. You have value to offer, and it's okay. You'll work through it. So the moral of the story is, if even if you're a small company, if you're willing to take the time necessary to complete all the government requirements so that you can do business with the government. Um, I mean, even I have a SAM account. And then yeah. to, you know, to get on their um, GSA and then and then possibly take the next step beyond that, uh, which is to have a contract. And so there's a couple areas there where you can do business with the government. The point you're making is that if you take that time, make that investment, it's you really do have uh, the opportunity to do business with the government. It It's not as scary as some people believe. Oh, you, you yeah. hit the nail on the head. It is the number one health system in this country. For those of you who've ever heard the word Kaiser out yep. in California, 
or other Jeep. No, this is the largest health system in the country. And most medical companies will tell you, small, large, or medium will tell you, this is their number one account. And most of them will tell you is they never stepped foot in it. But I'm just telling you with a little bit of work, a little bit of hustle, caringness, get to know the people. They still buy from who they like. Uh, they buy from who they like inside the government. Uh, you can win, but it does take some work and hustle, but there's a huge reward at the end of the road. Yes. Okay. And they do pay. Uh, and they, oh, you know, yeah, they, the do. Best thing they, they do pay, but that's a whole different discussion because their processes are sometimes, you know, not as easy, but yes, you have to stay on top of that too. Let's just put it this way. They want to pay. Sometimes yeah. it's the, well, sometimes it's their issues and sometimes it is companies issues that they don't know how to do it properly or they don't do it the government way. But yes, 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 yes. They do want to pay you. That's right. not an issue. Yeah. That I just not uh, the same thing on the commercial side. Yeah. I just submitted no, a, an invo- I just submitted an invoice to the NIH and uh, I'm, I've done it before and I'm confident I'll get paid in yeah. less than yeah. 30 days. If you just so follow those rules, you know, there's a few yeah. process rules. Yeah, yeah, follow. yeah. They, they, but they spell it out pretty clearly. And now you can do it all online, which is really, really handy. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. And we're going to talk about, you know, there was pre-COVID and how we dealt with sales pre-COVID. Everybody knows that because they were they're salespeople. And then there's where we are right now. We thought there was going to be a post-COVID. But that certainly has gotten stretched out. And we had the Delta variant. And now we got we may have more variants. Who knows? But people still have to be cautious now. So it's changed the way we interact. How has it changed, you know, the way that you interact with your customers and your teammates um, in the account, you know, the government account team? But how has it how has it changed the way that you interact and and your selling process? Yeah, let's go back a little bit and just say, maybe make this statement first. The only thing that COVID-19 did was all this speed things up. It was inevitable what COVID did, what was going to happen, regardless if COVID would have never happened. What I mean by that, I mean is it was getting to the point in, in these hospitals, there was too many pharmaceutical and medical reps. So that was a given. That was happening already. It was going to get worse. And it probably could have gotten so bad that some of these would have come out with mandates and said no more. Number two, okay, what happened? Oh, my God, uh, I can't get in to see my customers. What am I going to do? How am I going to talk? Well, obviously, Zoom came. Well, I wish I would own their stock, you yeah. know. And then people are going, man, how am I going to teach over co- uh, through, the, through this computer? What am I going to do? And, you know, how am I going to converse? And, Gosh, I never did like picking up a phone. I know my 27-year-old kid doesn't like to pick up a phone and speak, and here's my daughter too. So what am I going to do? So as I call, these are tools in my, in my toolbox and your toolbox and everybody's t- to learn. My God, I am so much better over the phone. My phone skills have improved. And, you know, my communication skills through the, through the Zoom has, you know, has improved. And I told people, you don't talk any differently over the phone than you do in person. You don't act any differently over the phone or on Zoom than you do in person. I'm using my hands right now. I'd use my hands if we were sitting across from each other. I would be going on the phone back and forth, you know, uh, with my tennis shoes on and constantly going back and forth on the phone or, or whatever. So I, I'm moving and, and there's no difference. You just have to do it and learn how to do it and seeing you like this. I can't, I can't reach out and say hello and stuff like that. So let's go back. So all this is just a toolbox that is formed that's hopefully made us all better. And yes, there was a time where we just couldn't get out, right? We, we weren't allowed to get out. We could not. And, and so you learn how to, to really to make those tools and get those things so fine-tuned that you're just, you know, ready to go. And so once you go back, then here's the problem. I think a lot of companies and people across the country, we've got COVID-19 hangover. Because just think about this. Now I think it's become an excuse. You lose your edge. You don't know how to do it again. Uh, how to get back out there. You're afraid to get in front of somebody. You're a little timid. Uh, things like that. And another thing that I, I, I talk about a lot, if you don't have, a, if you didn't have the relationships 
And the networking prior to COVID, boy, are you in trouble. Because during COVID, when you couldn't see someone, who's going to accept your phone call? Who's going to accept you to have a Zoom call with each other? Who's going to, who's going to get back an email to you if they don't know you? So yep. I think the key two to people, if you haven't built that network and you haven't done your homework prior, well, no one knew when it was going to happen. But if you weren't, right. if you weren't doing what you need to be doing anyway and consistently over the years or the last few years, all COVID did was put a little stumble in my step. All COVID did was actually allow me and others, hopefully, who are, you know, to hone my skills, hone my phone skills. I've never gotten better. I'll tell you one thing, it's still not easy for people to pick up the phone and dial that number and wait till that person gets to another end of the line and know what to say. I always say, get up in the mirror, practice. It's exactly. All about two things. It's all about two things in, in, uh, in, in whatever career you do. It's all about preparation, preparation, preparation. And repetition, repetition, repetition. So I hope that kind of answers your question about. Let me ask. Let me ask you this. You know, COVID hit, and big companies like Cook could obviously see it was going to have an impact on their ability to to access customers and to interface with customers. Did did Cook put together like a, a bunch of tools and training programs and stuff to help its field salespeople? with these Zoom calls and with phone calls and with a new kind of process? No question about it. We had to react fast. So yeah. yes, yeah, they had to put together tools and and everything so that that rep could actually speak to you, Dr. Newell, or, you know, across and speak to you and, and actually show you products through Zoom and be able to have videos. We did a lot of videos and a lot of things that were set up so that it would make it easier for for all reps, anybody to walk a customer through the process, through the procedure, et cetera. We, uh, we also had a lot of events and invited okay. a lot of positions and people on, on Zoom and on different areas. Yes, uh, they had to work. The marketing's net probably never worked harder. I think also Cook's not alone in this. Not only the, I think our internally, we built a, almost a studio. Well, perfect. You know, it was yeah, was built internally so that you know people could use it internally, or you could do you could run any of your your so-called events yourself and thing from from this built-in, uh, almost called a built-in movie studio or something. So spent time and money, but it was something that they they recognized for the future. It wouldn't hurt. In regards, if you go back, if you always have this. Uh, so those are some of the things that we did. Yeah, and I think we're not alone. I'm sure other companies do the same yeah. thing. So I think when I speak, I speak not for, you know, we're no different than anybody else. Hopefully I just speak the fact that, you know, it's something that we uh, we turned around uh, quickly. And well, some companies, say, some companies did delay. I mean, some companies thought the pandemic would be over. They held back. They didn't make the investments. And where some companies started acting really quickly, like in uh, – May and June and July of 2020. And then there's uh, other companies that didn't start taking action until the fall and winter when the next surge started to hit. So the fact that Cook took action, strategic action, I think is very commendable. And I think another point that you make is it proved to industry how important marketing is and how underutilized it's been. You know, so I, I like the fact that you guys were doing events because you didn't have the trade shows. How are you going to bring customers in to where they can learn interesting things and, and gain knowledge to help them make a decision in favor of a product? Well, Ted, you kind of, again, I don't know what it is, but we're kind of like complimenting each other or something because, you know, I'll be on this is a personal opinion. Okay. This is my opinion. This isn't, you know, anything like that. My opinion is, is, as marketing, that's an interesting term. It's a broad term. I probably didn't appreciate marketing prior to COVID, okay? Because I'm a people person. I'm out there. I, you know, okay, so you have a few uh, data sheets. We even actually got away from data sheets prior to, to COVID-19 with the more digital stuff anyway. I guess I didn't appreciate what marketing could do for me. Right. Until COVID. Is that, and that's what you're saying. Then I, then my appreciation just ri- raised uh, to another level going, wow, wow, this, this, all these things that they were able to do, all these tools that actually then made sense, made sense because if we're not in front of a customer, who knows how long that's going to be. We now have a toolbox, another toolbox, right? 
another right. marketing toolbox now that my gosh, I mean, they got all these things now built into the training that they can be trained. Physicians can be trained. We can have events, you know, we can do zoom things. We can, So yeah, we, I, I applaud uh, our marketing and probably a lot of marketing companies is, have been, you know, uh, uh, doing a wonderful job. But the other thing you make a point of is you got to remember that, you know, sometimes, and I'm not saying this is correct or incorrect. I don't know this answer. I don't know if I, I'm truth to this, but obviously we're a privately owned company and they're a publicly traded companies. So I'm just going to make an educated guess that it's easier for us to turn a dime, which has always been, and move in a different direction within seconds than it is for a publicly traded company. That's a typical statement. I don't think that's, I don't think I'm ta- talking about a turn that usually privately owned companies uh, can turn a little faster on the dime than publicly traded because we don't have any to share all that stuff that goes on uh, behind the scenes. That's yeah, I think, I, it, I think it all depends because I think Cook, Cook has a great reputation. And, <laughs> um, you know, so Cook is, you know, Cook's got a great reputation in, in terms of how they've built themselves over the years from a very small catheter company into what they are today. And obviously they care about what they do and they care about their employees. They care about their customers and they put these things into action. There are some public companies that work that move very quickly, like Boston scientific uh, reacted very quickly, but there are some private and some public that sort of sat back and um, they, and I think it hurt them. It probably flattened out their sales. What is a, a day like to you now versus what it was a year and a half or two years ago, you know, prior to COVID. I mean, in terms of the number of phone calls you make or the zoom calls that you have versus being on an airplane and maybe being headed to the twin cities where you're going to call on, you know, work with the local rep and call on who knows three or four, you know, veterans like hospitals or accounts. It's less, I mean, do I, it's less time in front of the customer has been, I mean, is it le- but less physical time, but what about, but are you, are you exchanging that a little bit with virtual time and phone oh, time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to start going, you know, I mean, okay. So maybe it was 95, five prior to COVID and maybe right. it got down as low as, you know, you know, probably 30% or 20% at one point or 10% and, you know, even being in front of customers or something. But, uh, you know, I mean, I'm going to say that I'm back up to maybe, maybe it's 70, 30. And I'm not going to, and I'm not toot my individual. I'm just going to tell you that I'm much more pro, I'm a proactive person. I am a go-getter. I would probably crawl up underneath a rock and, and die to some degree if I couldn't get out to see people. So I probably try a lot harder and then maybe the standard bear, I don't know. I'm just the type of person I, that I want to get back out there. So, you know, maybe I am, um, you know, one of those ones that you can't put me in and you can say, well, that that's just one person or 1%. Okay. Or maybe I'm 10% of the people doing this, but. But what, what just, extra, what extra things do you have to do? Oh. What, what additional challenges are, are there um, or headwinds are, are you facing as you try to, uh, be in front of customers now, be at that 70% level, which I think is high compared to a lot of people. So what is, what are you doing to get there? What do you have to do? Um, I, I am reaching out by email more. I'm reaching out by phone calls more. I'm trying to, I try to get in from the clinical side. I work with my salespeople on the clinical side. So if we have a clinical appointment at all, can I get in there at all to see a clinician about anything then I branch out and I grow my tree and I get more, uh, more appointments. And maybe it's not 70%, but I try, maybe it's 65, 35, but I feel lately I, you know, in the last six months and my game hasn't changed a whole lot. I'm out there pretty much. I'm traveling again next week. Um, you know, it just takes persistence and the calls and setting up. I'm not going to tell you that setting up meetings are a lot more difficult. Yes. I, I use a four, uh, a four email rule. I'll email you four times. I, I don't just do it once because, you know, maybe four, I may call a couple of times. I may, you know, I'll push it to the very end, but I'll do it with, with extreme kindness. I, I guess, I guess I'm just working mentally harder and physically trying to uh, cover all everything I can 
I'm in a I'm in a hospital to find everybody I can to to see if I'm going to go out there. If I'm going to fly all the way to Omaha next week, you know, I start with two really good meetings and then I branch out and I work every crack I can to uh, to get other people. And it's funny uh, once you're there and you're inside there, it's amazing how you can turn two meetings into three or four or five just because you pick up a name or someone says, "Have you talked to so and so?" Then I'll email that person right then. I'll call him right then while I'm in the hospital. So maybe it's just me working it harder physically and mentally. And maybe before it came more natural. It just was a natural thing that you went in. Now you got to kind of push yourself in because obviously are you are you have a vaccination? Yes. They want people that are vaccinated. Right. Have, have the vaccination. You know, do they really want to see you? Probably not. Uh, but I mean, but do you add some values or some way you can get in by adding some value. So yeah, you have to work at it. So uh, it's, it's probably harder more, but, but, but it can be done. And that's what I'm okay, trying so to say. It, but it does require, does yeah, it does require harder work. You're working yes, harder it does. to get to I'm where you are today. Working harder. Sometimes it'll take me three, four, five days to set things up for the following week or right. maybe pre COVID, maybe I could do it in a day or two. Right. You know, because they weren't they weren't possibly not wanting you to come in there or they weren't against you coming in. They just weren't for you coming in. They had an excuse for you not to come in as much as you had an excuse not to go in. You, you both may be going through COVID, you know, 19 hangovers. But the difference is, I want to be clear, the patients come first. The patients come first. Now you so mentioned the hospital surrounding. You got to you got to concern yourself with the patients. But I'm never usually around around the patient anyway. Right. Now you mentioned um, that of course they want to see that you're vaccinated. Do yes. government, do the government hospitals um, utilize the credentialing services like many of the com uh, community hospitals do, you know, the credentialing companies like GHX, which where you pay like $300 a rep to get credentialed um, and, and that, and you have to have that credentialing before you're allowed in a hospital. Do the government do that? Do yes. they use their credentialing yes. service? They have called Simpier, RepTrax. Yes. Okay, RepTrax, they're using it. Okay. Yes, they're using it, and you pay there to get in there. Some, sometimes, most of the time, the machines don't work, and you know things like that. But yes, they have a credentialing. But to go back, remember that the government's been mandated, so most all employees inside the VA hospitals have been vaccinated, and most of the veterans have been vaccinated. That is one reason why you see a lot of those. Uh, the hospital is not slowing down right now. Let's say when this Delta variant came up, as much as the as the commercial hospitals did, because you had a lot of unvaccinated people coming back and forth, but not so much inside the VA. They're all they're all vaccinated for the most part. So, but there are some VAs now. Let me make it clear on this call so everyone doesn't. One VA is one VA is one VA. What's that mean? Every VA is different. I could walk into one VA and say, well, I got it under control. I know exactly what to do. I'm good. I could go VA, another VA, it'd be totally different. So I just want to make sure that's clear on your listeners that just because you may have it down in one doesn't mean you have it down on the other. And like I'm going back to that, yeah, they're, man, they're starting the mandate for vendors and VAs that you have to be vaccinated and you have to prove it and they have a site and, you know, you have to put up, you know, upload your uh, vaccination, you know, the, the proof of it. Yeah. And, and just like you have flu shots and that kind of stuff like that, too. Right. Okay. And do you find that in the government system, is there, um, like you just said, every VA is different. Is there sort of a standard that they expect in terms of virtual calls? Like, are they typically thinking of using Zoom or they do they prefer Microsoft Meetings or Google Meet? Or it could it be anything? I, I would say there's they're still back in the old days and a lot of that kind of stuff. If anything, they probably use Microsoft Teams, who I heard about more of. Okay. Microsoft Teams. But most of the time, if I ever set up any kind of calls with them, I pro I usually just use the 800, the, the number and the call-in number and never try to do what we do. Most of the calls that I've been on, and my I only speak for myself. Um, have not been where we uh, had our pictures up. Okay. It's always been, it's always been that uh, we're talking and that going through some great things, but nobody is, is putting their face up there. 
And right. this, I don't know why this just is. They're on Microsoft Teams, and maybe that's just the way they do it. I'll be honest with you, Ted. They are so busy inside that VA. These buyers, people, I would supply chain folks. I mean, it's crazy in there. They're they're asked to do a lot, and uh, they're not your typical what you think in the C suites over in the commercial side. And these night, no, that's not how it works down there. They're good. They're good people. They just uh, have a lot to do and give, and and they're just trying to get their day done and and uh, you know get things through their system. Yeah. And then when when Cook initiated its training programs to help people with this new era of communication. Like um, how much training time were they asking for people like yourself or people like field reps Were people go, you know, going through, you know, two hours of training or were they going through like 10 hours of training over a couple of weeks? What was the training like? Well, let's put it this way. Most of the time people were, it got to the point where we were all inundated with calls. Yeah. If it wasn't a training call, it was a learning call. We also have what's called you know, a learning system online. So okay, we, yeah, we right. a, lot of, a lot of our training calls, CMI learning, or I don't know what it's called, it maybe in our, but basically we have to have it and we'll get these things requests. We'll have to have them done by a certain day, Got a it. certain time frame where you go in and actually online do your training. But but I'll tell you, Cook was right. I mean, they're, they're probably during the COVID, the heaviest of COVID and stuff, most People probably were on, gosh, who knows, four or five calls a day, you know, with with bosses, colleagues, you know, clients, customers, whatever it took, training. So it was a pretty constant, um, constant going on. This wasn't anything. uh, And yeah, right. Immediately they set up more and more uh, trainings, you know, uh, trainings and, you know, those kind of things like that. So I know. Okay. And they they had like an internal learning management system that people could. Yes, also that too. People yeah, they'd could actually, utilize. Put a lot, actually, they would put a lot of that training on there. Right. So you okay. could do it at your leisure. Got it. But and you could check off that you did it. You could take a test or check off or whatever. And, oh, yeah. You have to yeah. take a test. And if you don't get it done by a certain time, I'm sure your boss uh, would be calling and say, hey, you're behind on your training. Now, that doesn't mean that there weren't other trainings. I right. was just on a call today about uh, one of our new products out there. Sure. And they were talking about, uh, about data. So those kind of things happen all the time. Right. All the time on ours. And probably, to be honest with you, from pre-COVID to now and post-COVID, we probably do more of that now than we did pre-COVID. So I right. can tell you that, that I probably spent, you know, half the time. Three, I never spent as this much time. I probably spent 25% of the time pre-COVID on these kind of calls. Uh, where I'm where I'm probably spending now, even if I'm out in the field, I could be spending 75% if I wanted or 80%. So, sure. so those things have changed too. They've right. really drastically gone from, you know, uh, uh, now you can say that could be over communication or are just right. I don't know sometimes because, you know, it okay. just depends. But, uh, but yes, we've increased that, that tremendously. Maybe okay. that was for the better. Maybe that was a, a good thing. Sure. You know? Oh, no. I, yeah, there, there's probably some balance in between somewhere that where, where it's, where it's definitely a good thing. And then uh, we're sort of, uh, we're not far from being on the hour. This is something you and I talked about in one of our previous conversations. What future trends do you see in the government health systems and how might those affect the way companies interact with the government and how sales will take place? I think one thing I think that they'll continue to build on, I think, is these third party these uh, disabled veteran businesses, uh, they're, no, they're out there now. And, uh, you know, the VAs are supposed to buy a certain amount, whatever, from these disabled business owners. And I think that's a trend that will continue and maybe grow uh, from that standpoint. I think they really like to buy from disabled veteran businesses. I think that will happen. I think that they're trying to, um, uh, let's say, uh, improve their um, – IT and their internal processes. And I can see that getting better and better and better so that, you know, you got, you got people that were using credit cards, then you get on contract and they, everything can be done electronically and there's still credit cards being used. And I, I could see that that's their IT system and their software continues to prove in the government to where it's streamlined, streamlined more. Um, I, I believe that we'll give better care to the veterans 
you know, there's a thing called the Admissions Act that allows the veterans to go out into the community to get their health care if they can't get it, you know, some, they can't get it. But I'm hoping that these are just me, too, you know, that I'm thinking it's nothing I know for a fact or anything like that. So don't. But uh, I think you'll see a lot more. Hopefully a lot more veterans will come back into the VAs and and hopefully they'll keep improving the veteran care and taking care. There's I think there's been a, you know, badly. Um, I don't know. I think the medium has taken it. Media has taken it, uh, you know, to the to the links of it's not fair because I think that, uh, you know, the veterans are, uh, you know, it's not as bad as it is sometimes in those VA hospitals. And they're great people in those hospitals and great physicians and they care. So I just think you'll continue to see those veterans getting better and better care. I think you'll I think there'll be think more. Do you think there'll be more budget appropriated for them? What's interesting here, here's how it works real fast. Whatever budget they get, let's say, um, pick out a year, 2020, they don't use it all. They sometimes don't get the full amount the next year. So right. I'm not, I, yeah, I'm not sure it's a, uh, my my opinion that it's worrisome about budget. It's just the fact of taking care of the patients, like, you know, making sure they get in, in on a timely fashion and hopefully not having them have to go out into the community world because it's still hard for them to get all the paperwork even when they do go to a private hospital okay right it's still difficult for all that to, to happen i think your issues are going to be more on the commercial side it's got a something healthcare has got to stop because it just it's getting out of hand and and uh we've we the pendulum has gone all the way over and i'm really concerned personally about the value uh, we can't forget to give give good treatment we're worried about money so much that we're starting to forget the value and the treatment of, of patients. And we're not, let's, let's go back and start worrying about the patient first. And that's right. what concerns me on the commercial side has become such a business. Uh, I'm sorry. A lot of insurance companies are making a lot of money. Uh, you know, things are just out of whack. And uh, I just hope that uh, things get straightened out on the commercial side. I almost think that some of the things that the government side doing, the, the commercial side should take a good hard look. Right, because right. At least, uh, at least they're really trying to take care of uh, the patients, in my opinion. Sure. You know, and, and uh, okay. you know, I'm sure on the commercial side that that's happening. I'm more concerned what's going to happen, you know, like for my son, who's an orthopedic surgeon. Obviously, he's not going to make as much money as he'd like or what he thinks he should, or what they did 10, 15, 20 years ago. I just want to continue to make sure that the, you know, I told him, make sure you give good care to your patients. That's all that matters. I think the demographic, I think the demographics are in his favor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, all of your kids, all of your kids favors. <laughs> well, thank you. You're, uh, you're too kind, but yes, yeah, so yeah. they're, as I tell people, there are better people than they are professionals, whatever professions they're in, they're better people. Yeah. Any last words of wisdom before we wrap this thing up? No, I, I, it's not so much a words of wisdom. I, I just really hold, hold tight on the fact that, you know, every, we go back to the very beginning of this conversation to some degree that everyone uh, is in sales in this country. And I think sales gets a bad word. And I think no matter what career you do, I don't care what desk position you take. I don't care if you're an entrepreneur, you're still selling yourself every day. You're selling a widget of some sort. You're selling a concept. And I think people are going to go back to that mindset. Then then maybe if they realize they are, then maybe they'll figure out how to start treating people. As I always say, treat people like they want to be treated. You know, be kind to people. Uh, be humble to people. I mean, I don't know. I just think sometimes we are, we got to get back to taking care of, uh, you know, it's kind of like me. I always take care of the customer, you know, and if you always think about taking care of the customer and whatever career you choose, you're, you're going to win. You're right. going to win more times than you're going to lose. If you just think about it that way, take care of the customer. They're always right. And uh, be kind and uh, always uh, to people. Okay. Well, Chip, thank you much, very much for your hour today. We really appreciate it. This was a really fun conversation the two of us had. Well, I, I appreciate it, Ted. It, it could have gone many, many directions, and it seemed like it just sort of brought it back because you had some great, great questions, and I appreciate your time. There are a few pearls I would take away from this conversation with Chip. First is that selling to the U.S. Veterans Affairs Hospital System is a worthwhile effort, and many of you already know that. 
there is some work that has to be done to get your company registered with a government system, whether you are a U.S. company, a distributor, or an international manufacturer. But once you have this work done, you may actually have an easier time getting healthcare professionals to indicate a preference for your product. However, remember, you have to have a professional sales executive with marketing support calling on these hospitals and their healthcare professionals so they know your products are available. This might be the one place where a lot of companies fall down is they don't have this individual in place or assigned and they're not making the effort. Just having your products listed doesn't mean they're going to get sold. The second pearl is that getting appointments organized is harder work today than back in 2019. You need to use your virtual skills, phone skills, and email skills and demonstrate some patience. What took two calls or emails in the past may now take twice as much effort. Remember that hospital systems and healthcare professionals all over the world are still under immense pressure. So keep pressing forward. Thanks for spending time with me and Chip today. Now go win your week.